0: Talking about the 0.0 percentage of wealth
1: here? Yes, that is a quite an interesting question. It should be a very basic calculation. I calculated the other day about a third of them, or maybe a quarter, are in the 0.0001%, if I'm not mistaken. So that should make about 140 people, so the richest basically the purposely people.
0: Today on the podcast, I talk with Dr. Elizabeth Schimpfossel, author of the newly released book, Rich Russians, From Oligarchs to Bourgeoisie. Elizabeth looks at the top 0.1% in Putin's Russia. This is a fascinating study built around stories picked from a sample of 80 interviews which she conducted with multi-millionaires and billionaires. The book explores histories, biographies, lifestyles, how the rich see their role and position on top of Russian society and how they relate to the West. From the heart of Bloomsbury, London, welcome! to the Pushkin House podcast. What do you mean by becoming bourgeoisie? How do they understand that? How do you understand that? What does it mean?
1: Repeating a historical process we've seen many times where a upper class gains and and, and, and concentrates so much symbolic to some extent political lesson in russia but nevertheless um, and economic power in one place and also um, around that establishes all kind of features and lifestyle features features, manners and so on uh, that uh, make it um, legitimate Mm -hmm. in a public perception and for themselves, and that also allows them to pass on those resources across a generation. It's only also in many, in many sense, if you think of Nobody Lies, a civilization process, um, also not historically unique. We had the robber barons in the late 19th century in um, the United States, who then also in order to, to st- stabilise their social position started, um, engaging in philanthropy, Carnegie and so on mm-hmm. uh, started taking a certain public role, a certain public role of also almost to a certain uh, extent moral leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, again, in order to kind of mark their 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 status, position in society, in order to make uh, to make it more sustainable. It also often implies, and that's quite important among the Russians, to construct for the western bourgeoisies uh, that 's much easier to construct a, um, a a narrative of their past in mm-hmm. britain 's hugely important but aristocratic background still dominates mm-hmm. all kinds of spheres of life um, in Germany for example or in france it's the the big dynasty families and in um, in, in in Russia cause something that had to be uh, completely uh, newly uh, invented, given that there was neither a surviving aristocracy nor uh, even less so a capitalist bourgeois class during the the Soviet Union. And here the replacement was, which became stronger and stronger over the years when I did my research, the intelligentsia uh, replacing the uh, uh, bourgeoisie as, as a historical reference point, both in terms of all the symbolism around it uh, and the own background. Many of them were born into the intelligentsia, uh, but over the years they started emphasizing that more and more, and establishing certain pride and and identity around this intelligentsia background they're from. Sometimes people are almost annoyed when I when I ask them, asking the interviews, uh, what people think made them so successful. Well, Elizabeth, what do you think? It's my genes. So it's this kind of thing that um, naturalizes, essentializes their whole life trajectory, and basically as if it predetermines their success, ordained by God always. It's almost a kind of a religious belief in it, if you, uh, if you, if you um, uh, limit or kind of concentrate or explain your, your wealth with um, genetic um, preconditions. Mm. Then again, there's, there's of course, when people explain their success with, uh, with their genes, of course it clashes in a certain way also with having worked so hard to and to to, to have been uh, successful so it's all kind of and it also clashes with them and for example uh, khodorkovsky i think it was in 98 uh, said in an interview that everybody in russia is not an oligarch is an idiot because everybody could have made it everybody had the same um, as, um chances to do so but there are so many contradicting narratives um that I think a further uh, virtualization process will require people to get some clarity into their um, self-legitimizing narratives.
0: Tell us a little bit more. How should we imagine these people? What are they like?
1: They're very different in itself, but they're rich. And my initial question was to some extent, is there a certain upper-class forming that has a life by itself, apart from the uh, by the population. So it was interesting in a group. And back then, they didn't have to be any that rich. That lives a st- starting living. That was in the in the mid uh, two thousand. Starting living a life where children um, grow up, go to school, um, socialize, live basically only with each other. Mm-hmm. School aged children from different social classes hardly uh, meet together in, in, any, in any life situation. And so I was interested in, of course you have a lot of um, rich kids being sent very consciously by the parents to state schools in Moscow, very good state schools, in order to have them mingle with intelligentsia mm-hmm. children, that yes, but there is no longer, so this kind of, this, this upper class that lives its, its, its separate life. And not only co- doesn't concern any sh- school children, but that's kind of a, a typical indicator. It's also an indicator of, of what Danny Darling says, is peak inequality, exactly when society, different groups in society um, grow so apart that basically all their life is Separated, except for when there's staff that's the only encounter or some, sometimes in public life, but not socially anymore or in education.
0: You say that we are going to witness, or we are witnessing, the biggest transfer of generational wealth.
1: The young generation of all kinds of stories, S- on the one hand, that people suffer a little from some even more so that they will never ever be able to repeat their usually father's success. At the same time, they are quite class conscious in in a way and feel special and and in many ways also better, often also better than their um, more um, lavish peers who don't yet take life so seriously. Many of them also take up some activities of, of, of responsibility, for example, running a Russian society mm-hmm. somewhere and things like that. They're very clear about the historical circumstances on the one hand usually because they say, some clearly said, we are not in the 1990s, 90s, the circumstances can't, won't allow me to do the same as my father did. At the same time, there's this, 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 this contradiction among the parents generation quite a number in my latest interviews, billionaires who don't want to inherit much to their children in order to give them proper incentives Mm -hmm. to um, make it uh, on their own, basically ignoring that uh, making it on their own in the 1990s was a very difficult question in in, in 2018. So in that sense, the children also have a kind of a burden on their shoulders. Yet again, of course, they're often... um, very much helped into their careers. So Mm -hmm. I think uh, the inheritance, this inheriting won't be all that bad and the life path most likely uh, quite um, uh, sorted. A lot of
0: people will be very interested at your ability to achieve this book, to compile it. I want to know a little bit more about the research project, the way you did this and the way you started doing
1: this. One thing that explains it is, it's taken me ages. <laughs> and I started doing it, I was still in Vienna. Um, I started my PhD in Manchester in 2007. But initially I was um, searching around in Vienna and people told me, A, hey, such a thing doesn't make sense. My, my question was, what does the new upper class do in order to um, make sure that their children, their offspring, ends up in, in, in a similar position in mm. society, preserves their status and so on. So what, what strategies do they apply? People first told me Professor at Venice University that A, there is no upper class. It's still too much in flux. It doesn't make sense. And B, um, I would never ever get anybody to talk to me. Um, it, nevertheless, it did work out. So what I did first, I was just asking around whoever I knew approach new people and ask them whether they knew anybody and then there was this one incident often it was this the people who were actually closest to them that when they looked at me so they would meet would look at my clothes mm-hmm. especially inspect uh, my shoes and then decide maybe it's not worth it straining the valuable context to this wealthy person by uh, <laughs> putting in a word for me uh, others did and one, one there was one person was really helpful and there was a kind of a scurrility of um, post soviet transformation uh, it was there was a 1st of May demonstration. Uh, friends took me to, we walked along, it was very boring. They said, Let's go to this Anarchist Rally, we went there, um, talked to a left wing intellectual, and he, to my surprise, when I, when I told him about my topic, said, Oh, that is a very Marxist topic. So, all right. <laughs> not sure, uh, but yeah, he got then out his very, very old yellowish already um, address book and gave me all kind of numbers, which he had because um, from from his from the seventies, eighties, he was an important uh, figure in um, Moscow circles, uh, which allowed him to still have. People from very different walks of lives Mm -hmm. among his acquaintances. So that was kind of absurd things. I also wrote to some on Facebook. There was one case that surprised me. Ilya Segalovich, the co-founder of Yandex, Russia's equivalent to Google, he replied to me right away and said, "Yes, he'd give me an interview, but only if it's uh, for purposes of scholarship for research." And not for PR media purposes. Mm-hmm. And um, if if it was media PR, I should approach his press department. And yeah, that was that was very nice. And there there I also read very clearly someone of course Segalovich, who clearly was born into the intelli- intelligentsia and 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 got rich through programming and and Yandex. Um, but there's also a bigger phenomenon, a big um, respect for scholarship, scholarship in more, more general terms. Um, also among kind of typical businessmen, but nevertheless, um, that kind of pre, um, mm-hmm. has been preserved. Thank you for listening to the Pushkin House podcast. I'm Elizabeth Schimfersl author of Rich Russians from Oligarchs to Bourgeoisie. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, rate and review this podcast. Thank you.